And so today is one of my favorite passages in all of the Gospels, and particularly the Gospel of Luke, which is my favorite Gospel, not going to lie. Um, but I'm going to read for you the first, uh, well, I guess it's verses 1 through 25. So you guys ready for this? All right. It's a compelling story. So if you're distracted, that's on you. Or you just, you know, take it up with Jesus, right? All right, Luke 14, 1 through 25 says this. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited them both invited both of you, will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the, the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Let's pray. God, we ask this morning that you'd um, illuminate your word and make it clear to us uh, how this um, relates to our lives, what we're supposed to understand about the nature of the kingdom, how we're supposed to understand Jesus. And God, would we be people that not just hear the word today, uh, but that receive it and do it in our lives. Amen. So as you know, 
there's a common phrase stated throughout the Gospels. It's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And these are kind of synonymous statements. And so Jesus, when asked what he's doing, he, he says, I've come, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? He talks about uh, it, it being good news. And so Luke goes to great pains to try to express to us what this kingdom is like or what are the marks of the kingdom or what is the nature of the kingdom. And this passage in particular, I think, gives us a really great hint into that. And I think it gives us three really clear marks of what the kingdom of God is like. This is what it means to be part of God's world. This is what it means to, to follow Jesus, you could say. Does that make sense? That's what the kingdom of God is like. This is what it means to be part of God's uh, kingdom under Jesus' lordship. So the first one is the first six verses of this passage. Now, Jesus is going to a meal. This is not an uncommon thing to happen in, in the Gospels, right? Jesus is constantly eating with people, and he eats with all sorts of people, right? At one point, he's called a, a, a drunkard because he's hanging out with sinners. That's what they, they say. Sometimes he's called a glutton because he's hanging out with gluttons. And now he's hanging out with the religious leaders. So it's not like he's just hanging out with um, all the same people. It's a vast variety of people. But this particular one is, is a meal that I would want to skip. Because the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, they just continually kind of give Jesus a hard time. You know the people that are always looking for something wrong in what you do? Like they're just like, okay, yeah, it's great that you just healed that person. But... You know, you did heal somebody on the Sabbath, so that's a problem, right? Or, I know you fed 5,000 people, Jesus, that's really cool, but what about this little thing that you did over here? And it's just this constant grind for Jesus. And I just think Jesus probably walked into this meal knowing that there was going to be, that he's kind of being watched, right? It even says that in the text, he's being watched or he's being observed. And he's just waiting for one of them probably to start to question him. Start to ask him about what he is doing. And in this particular case, uh, a, a man is at hand at the party who has uh, a sickness. And Jesus knows right away on the Sabbath that he's with this man. He's going to heal him. And there's going to be a lot of questions. So he kind of takes the conversation to these Pharisees and scribes. He starts questioning them. I don't know about you, but I, I hate confrontation. Like this would be like knowing that I'm going into a meal and the person's going to be uh, skeptical of me, right? Is going to kind of uh, pick at everything in my life that's wrong, going to question my theology or what I'm doing. I remember early on as a, a pastor, I was invited over for dinner, and there was just such a person that was coming to Missio Day at the time. And I was like, oh boy, like, <laughs> here we go. He said, the first thing he said to me, <laughs> he says, your content's good, but your delivery is terrible when you preach. <laughs> and I was like, okay, all right, thank you. I'm like a brand new, brand new preacher just starting off here. Thank you for that encouragement. Well, this is even worse because they're questioning whether Jesus is from Beelzebub or is he from, uh, from God, right? Is he obedient to the law or is he not? So Jesus takes the question to these men. And for whatever reason, this particular thing that really bothered the Pharisees is how Jesus treated the Sabbath. Now for us, we're like, what's this? I mean, you may not even 
think twice about the Sabbath, right? Like it's, maybe it's on Sunday. Maybe you practice it whenever you can. You may take a couple hours each, each week and say, well, that's my Sabbath. But for the Jewish men and women of the first century, this was one of the primary ways in which you showed that you were different than the world. It was supposed to be this beautiful day of rest that showed that you were not controlled by the systems and structures of this world, that you did not have to produce, but that you could rest in God and God would take care of you. It's supposed to be this beautiful picture of how God is, is providing all of our needs even as life goes on around us. No one pays attention. So Jesus says to them, well, is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? And they were silent. They really didn't want to answer, right? They didn't uh, have... A response, And I think that they knew that whatever they said, Jesus would either say, you know, you're wrong or you've misunderstood or their true answer would come forth and say, no, it's not okay for you to heal this man on the Sabbath. So Jesus responds for them and gives them this example of how if they had an ox or if they had a, a child that fell into a well or fell into a ditch, that they certainly would pull him up. So why would you not heal somebody that's sick if you had the power to do so? I think that what it came down to and what Jesus was trying to emphasize to them over and over again is that in the kingdom of God, compassion supersedes their rules. <laughs> Does that make sense? That they, they kind of preferred these tidy answers that they could kind of block off the way that they were supposed to live their lives instead of the messiness of people's lives. And this is something that we can learn from. A lot of time our theology or our politics or our view of things as Christians are, are, are trying to do the right thing, but we may actually miss the heart of what it means to care about people first and foremost. Jesus was people-centered, probably even more than doctor-centered. Sometimes there just simply isn't a manual. I love the example of John 4. This is another example of Jesus focused on the individual. The woman at the well, she's there because in the middle of the day because she's afraid to show her face any other time. She's looked down upon, she's scorned, she's ostracized from her community. And Jesus approaches her, which is uncomfortable and, uh, and something that he shouldn't have been doing. He starts talking to her as a Samaritan, and that was a little bit complicated as well. And she kind of points out to the fact that, you know, you shouldn't be talking to me. Why are you doing this? And he says, well, because I want, you know, I want a drink. And she says, you know, that's, that's inappropriate. He says, well, I want to give you living water. She says, well, how do I get this water? And then she kind of questions, basically, she brings about this theological belief that Samaritans have different than Jewish people. You guys remember the story? Anybody that's read your Bible in John 4? And it's, it's kind of a smaller part. We don't really think about it. But she basically says, you say that God's supposed to be worshipped in Jerusalem. We say it's supposed to be here. You know, kind of which one is it? And Jesus says, well, it's in Jerusalem, but that's beside the point. <laughs> and he kind of goes on to the, the whole point is that you need the living water. It's not that he didn't say, like, it's not that that wasn't true. It's not that, that she was right and he was right or neither one of them right or it didn't matter at all. He was saying what has priority is whether or not you're going to receive me, whether or not you're going to drink of this living water so that you never go thirsty again. See, these men that were sitting at this table with Jesus, 
saw this man, and most likely they believed that his condition was a result of God's judgment. So when Jesus asks them whether it's lawful to heal a person on the Sabbath, and they remain silent, they're saying, well, if this is the judgment of God, why would we break God's Sabbath rules in order to heal him? You could heal him tomorrow if you wanted to. This message that Jesus continues to display in the Gospel of Luke, one of compassion, you may get sick of it because it just happens to come up over and over and over again. I think it's so natural to not respond with compassion. See, the Jewish leadership, they failed to see what Jesus was doing because they had a fixed expectation of what God's rules and and methods of operation They had elevated an absolute prohibition of what God had intended as instead of uh, bringing about the positive expression of celebration and worship that Sabbath was supposed to bring. And healing someone on the Sabbath should have brought worship, should have brought celebration, would have brought peace to this individual. A Sabbath became a day of exclusion for them instead of one of worship. And I think that we too are at risk of missing what God is doing because we think we know how God is going to act. And I think those of us who wish to see God at work must be careful not to dictate how God is going to work in our lives and the lives of those around us. He acts as he wills and he acts with compassion. And so should we. As the story goes on, Jesus starts going after them even more. I love this. He's like, well, let's talk about Sabbath. Well, you guys are all wrong about that, right? I'm going to heal this man. And now let's talk about how everybody is trying to get the best seat in this house. So he talks about how when you enter into a space, how you are supposed to uh, take the, the, speed, the, the sp- spot of the low position and you may be exalted instead of taking the high position and you will be essentially embarrassed or shamed because someone more important might show up. In a culture where honor and shame were so significant, this would have been a, a major problem if you were to have to move a seat. That would be very, extremely embarrassing. Even today, if someone, uh, I don't know if you sat in a spot, say I had a very particular seat, which I kind of do, right? But say you sat in my spot and I had someone go up to you and say, hey, you know what? Uh, That's Pastor Dave's spot. And uh, you got to move, right? You can't sit there anymore. That would be pretty arrogant and ridiculous of me to do that. That's beside the point. It would be embarrassing, right, to have to move in front of everybody else. Oh, you're sitting in the pastor's seat. What are you thinking, right? And so I think what Jesus is trying to get across to these, these individuals and what he wants to share about the nature of his kingdom, it is one of great humility. He says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be ex- exalted. And this is a constant theme throughout the scriptures. In fact, we have a, um, a, a description by Paul in Philippians 2 of just how humble Jesus was. This, the narrative that Jesus just lays out before us is one that he actually practiced. He says, uh, you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. 
Look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of, of others, right? And, 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 and take on the very nature of what Jesus has done. Jesus, who was God, became man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, it says in the scriptures. Even death on the cross. In light of him becoming the lowest, right, God exalts him to the highest place and gives him the name that is above every other name, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. We have an image of Jesus, the God of the whole universe, who came and humbled himself all the way to the cross to save us and to rescue us. And because of that humility, because of his willingness to take on sin, he has been exalted to the highest place. And so I think we have to consider, I think the thing that's hard about humility is every, no one thinks that they're prideful. <laughs> Everyone thinks that they're humble. Uh, I guess there's a few people that might not think that they're humble. But most of us in this room probably, if I asked you, say, are you a, are you a proud person? You No, of course not. I'm, I'm, I'm humble. Uh, Jesus is probably talking about this other person sitting a few rows behind me or next to me. So I'm going to give you a little test this morning on humility. Let's see what you think. Do you become jealous or critical of people who succeed around you? Do you have a pattern of lying, putting yourself in a favorable light or not showing your mistakes or patterns? Maybe lying to make others look worse so that you can feel better. Do you have a hard time acknowledging that you are wrong? Maybe you shift blame to others. You play the victim. You change the subject. We have a lot of that in our family with one of our children. person could get caught red-handed doing the worst thing ever and you somehow it's your fault. I don't know how that works, but that's the way it works right now. Do you have to be right? Like, do you have to be right? Can you not let something go until you prove that you are right? Do you get upset when you don't get credit for your accomplishments and someone else gets it instead? Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Humble yourself and become obedient like Jesus Christ to death, even death on the cross, and you will be exalted. And then Jesus goes on and he says, it's not just about where you should sit when you come in, but who you should invite to your dinners. <laughs> he, you notice like it's kind, of, it's kind of a weird, like this whole flow is not as a, a natural flow. He's talking about Sabbath, then all of a sudden he's talking about like where they're sitting at the meal. Then the next part of the passage is, is him saying, uh, you should actually invite people that aren't your friends, people that aren't your family. You should invite people that don't have anywhere else to go. Those are the people you should be inviting over for dinner. He basically says, if you invite your, your closest friends or people that are wealthy over, you can expect something in return. Then it's not a true gift. The best hospitality is that which is given, not exchanged. And though the people that you invite over, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, as he gives us examples in this passage, 
will never be able to repay you, but you will be repaid. You will be rewarded in the resurrection that is to come. So the second area is humility. And then he begins to challenge us on on who we're supposed to invite. And then he talks about uh, the parable. Uh, He gives another parable. But first, uh, as you can imagine... Just imagine the scribes and the Pharisees are sitting here. They're listening to Jesus. And Jesus, first of all, basically challenges them and tells them they're wrong about the Sabbath. Then he tells them that they're all trying to find the seat of honor, so they're not very humble. Number three, they're inviting over people that are going to repay them. Uh, and so this is not actually the way that the kingdom of God works. They should be inviting in people that can never repay them. All the people that you criticize me for hanging out with, he's saying, those are the people that you should be having over to your house. So to kind of try to smooth everything over, there's an individual, one of the men basically stands up and he says, or sits down and says, I don't know what he's doing, but he says, blessed is the one who will eat in the feast of the kingdom of God. So this remark, you know how things are awkward? Like there's probably a lot of tension in the air. So this guy's trying to create some peace. This is me. I'd be like, all right, well, Jesus, I know we have some differences but can we all get along? You know, like, let's just enjoy our dinner together. You know, like, let's just have some fun. Can we talk about something else maybe? I don't know. Like, did you hear about the, you know, the, the rain that's coming later on this week or something like that, right? I, I don't know. Like, I would be trying to, like, this is very uncomfortable, Jesus. So he's probably trying to remove the tension of some of Jesus' remarks and his actions that have created in the room. He's kind of saying, like I said, despite our differences, wouldn't it be nice for all of us to experience the blessing of sitting in fellowship before God when he reasserts his rule fully? And Jesus, of course, just goes right into a parable at that point. And many of you have heard this parable before, but just to summarize it again, Jesus tells the story of a man who's planning a great banquet at his home. This is a major event, which includes an initial invitation uh, that probably many, many people of the most important people of the town, of all the expected people to be invited, all RSVP that they would be there. When the time comes, when the day arrives, all the food is ready. It's all cooked. It's probably all ready and and prepared and they're going to have an event and a party that may last days upon days in the whole community. But when it's announced that everything is ready and it's time to come, there are three examples of invitees who had accepted before that try to opt, opt out. Each one considers that they have a good enough excuse. One bought a field probably going to inspect the field to make sure they want to buy it. So they're going through the inspection period. Certainly this inspection could have waited one more day, but that was a good excuse in, in this person's mind. The second one had bought some livestock, some ox, and he wanted to make sure that they were healthy and strong before the purchase went through. And the third one had just gotten married, and there are prohibition or there are allowances in the in the law that if you just get married, that you can kind of opt out of certain events. So, so probably this person was like, "Well, I don't have to go because I just got married." Um, whatever. So the servant tells the master about all these last-second cancellations, and the host is mad <laughs> and is faced with a dilemma: postpone the party. Try to eat as much food as you can, but there wasn't any refrigerators back then, so it's all going to go to waste. 
Or do you go ahead and have the party anyways? So he decides that he's going to have the party anyways. He sends out the servant, invites the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. All the people that are mentioned previously should be invited to any sort of meal. And many of them come. They come in, they eat, but the problem is it's still not full. So he sends out the servant again and says, you got to go find more people. And so now it's talking about going out into the country, going out into fields, going out. It says highway and byways in some of the translations. He's just like waving people down as they pass by and saying, hey, you want to come to this amazing banquet that we're having, this amazing party that my you know, uh, boss is putting on for the community. Come and eat. Come and be part of this. It's going to be an incredible time. People come. So what does this mean? What is Jesus pronouncing with this parable? What is he declaring about this man's statement to say, isn't it going to be great? We're all going to be in the kingdom of God. When, when God finally acts, we're all going to be there. I know we have our differences, but, you know, let's just all get along. I think there are at least a few meanings. The first kind of an initial one is that Jesus is essentially saying, I am going around Galilee, summoning God's people to this great supper. Like this banquet that you're waiting for is being inaugurated right now and you're being invited in by God's chosen one. You must hurry up and come. But most of them have refused, giving all kinds of reasons, all kinds of excuses. But the people that are coming, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, are the poor, are the disadvantaged, are the disabled, are the considered the worst people of society, the sinners of the day. They are the ones that are coming in, accepting the invitation and joining the celebration with Jesus. And so this nature, the nature of this invitation, I think we should understand at least three things. That those that expect to be part of the, the banquet, uh, <laughs> of, of God's banquet in this coming age, actually are refusing it by refusing Jesus. They are missing it. The second, I think, is this, this urgency that Jesus has. You've asked a ton of questions. You've seen a lot of amazing works. It's time to come to the banquet. It's time to join in. I think for many of us, uh, I like Dorina says, I don't have any more questions. <laughs> questions are good. It's okay to, 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 but I think that there is a point in time where Jesus is saying, just, just come, you know, like just, just accept the invitation, Right? Now's the time. Don't wait any longer. Don't delay. The, 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 the banquet is starting right now. You've got to make a decision. Come in or don't come at all. When I was um, in youth ministry, I shared a little bit of a story last week, but one of the things that always came up was we would, we would talk about you know, putting your faith in Jesus and a lot of, and receiving God's gift of grace. And a lot of the, the, them would kind of, it was kind of in a joking manner, but they were like, well, if God's grace is always available, I'm just going to wait a little bit. Like I'm going to have my fun maybe 20, 30 years from now, maybe right before I die, I'm just going to trust in Jesus 
I'll be forgiven, and at least I got to live my life the way that I wanted without all these rules, right? And I think that ignores the fact that I think that what happens is that the longer we refuse, the longer we go our own way, the longer we hold out, we often build up a hardness of heart. The more likely we are to fall deeper into sins and our hearts to become more callous to any word from God. And the third thing I think that we can see from this passage that's really important is that an acceptance of an invitation in this case is not just about devotion because if it were just about like the zeal with which you followed God, then the Pharisees would be in. They had a lot of zeal for God, but they were missing Jesus. An invitation from Jesus here, it must um, come from the knowledge and devotion to God's chosen one, Jesus himself. Heritage, in their case, Jewish uh, heritage, was not enough. Devotion was not enough. They must choose to follow Jesus and go to the banquet that Jesus is putting on. And so it raises a question that we can have a lot of devotion, we can have a lot of really great ideas, we can have a lot of uh, zeal for God, but if we're not following the chosen one of God, if we're not following Jesus, if we're not coming into his banquet, that we are sadly mistaken. And we're missing all that God is doing in the world. And so we are, they were invited. Many of the Pharisees refused. But many people that were outside of what would be like the traditional call for salvation did come in. And we see that the church is filled with, with all sorts of people, right? We have slaves and masters, men and women, Gentiles and Jews, people from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, all different racial backgrounds, all different cultures and histories. They're coming to the banquet. They're accepting the invitation. And the last thing I think we can understand about this invitation and what the kingdom of God is like is Jesus makes it really clear that this, this invitation to this banquet is a party. The kingdom of God is a party. We always want to know, like, what's heaven going to be like? And as a little kid, you're kind of like, I don't really know. Like, do I want to go to heaven? Like, angels playing harps, right? You know, it's like, I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of sheep there and lions and weird stuff going on there. I think, like, the kingdom of God is going to be a lot more like when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. If you went down to, like, Wrigleyville that night, I did. A lot less booze, okay? A lot less booze. Because I got pinched a few times. That was weird in the crowd. Uh, but I'll say this. It was a party. Thousands and thousands of people coming, celebrating in unison as one, as the Cubs won the World Series. For So imagine what the kingdom of God is going to be like. Imagine what the great banquet is promised at the end of the days. Imagine what the table is going to look like and the food that's going to look like and the people from every different nation, every different background, every different history, every different story. 
coming together, worshiping Jesus. I mean, it is going to be incredible. And it's all going to be centered around the Jesus, right? The, the chosen one, the one who humbled himself and became obedient to death so that we might be free, so that we, we might participate in this banquet. I was, I've been a Christian for a while now. And I think sometimes it can just become repetition. We forget what we're being invited into. We forget how the story ends. We forget that, that this, there's a banquet waiting for us. And an invitation to come. And if any of you today have not chosen to follow Jesus and, and come to the banquet, the invitation is waiting for you. There's all kinds of excuses of why you can't do it. There's all sorts of reasons why today is not the day. But will you be like the, the, the people on the streets that maybe were, I don't know, working their field that day or trading their oxen at the market or doing something else that day? Would they put down their stuff so they could go to this banquet and feast with Jesus?